Well, I don't know where you grew up, but where I grew up in Illinois, it wasn't the booming metropolis of Chicago or the college town of Champaign, very far from it. Some people come to Cheyenne and think it's a small town. Well, I grew up in a town of about 800 people in Pleasant Plains, Illinois. And at some times when I lived there, it dipped below 700 or 600, I believe. So how many of you guys grew up in a small town? Okay, okay, first service was more country than you. Well, it was in this small town America that I got my first taste of law enforcement. It gets better, I promise. So let me set the scene for you. It was elementary school, no cares in the whole world. Little Taylor Miller was in third or fourth grade, I can't really remember. But Farmingdale Elementary School was having a week of events and presentations. Um, And one of those presentations was the local police department doing a D.A.R.E. presentation. DARE stands for the Drug Abuse Resistance Education, or DARE You Not to Do Drugs. Some of you are familiar with that. And I can't remember exactly the sequence of events leading up to it, uh, but they started talking about marijuana, and my hand shot up. And I told the police officers that my dad had marijuana. So a little bit more backstory. I lived in the country. And we do something in the country called burning our fence lines. How many of you are familiar with that? Okay, okay. Here in the city, you have wood fences and plastic fences. Well, in the country, those aren't really necessary because no one drives past your house to see how pretty your fences are. We have steel posts and steel wire fences. And instead of spraying a bunch of chemicals or pulling the weeds by hand, you just burn them a couple times a year. Well, recently, my brothers and my sister and me were outside and dad said, oh, look, there's a marijuana plant. I think there were maybe two. Well... The cops didn't see this as some kids saying, my dad recently pointed out when we were burning our fence line that we have a couple marijuana plants. They could have seen this as my dad is growing tons of weed, he's distributing it, and he's a mafia kingpin in Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Because later that day, they showed up at our house. After first service, someone said, well, what happened? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, like, what happened to your dad? I was like, I probably should tell the people what happened to my dad. My dad's fine. Bob Miller, he's probably watching baseball and basketball today somewhere. Uh, He did not get arrested. Now, what on earth does weed have to do with Jesus, you might be wondering? (laughs) Last time I was up here, uh, I got uh, prostitution from Hosea, and today I start my message off with weed. So I have an interesting track record from the stage, uh, but it's not the weed I want to focus on today. It is the misunderstanding. If you're new here, my name is Taylor Miller. I'm the lead producer here at the church. And whether you're joining us in person today or on a video screen somewhere, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us. The police had pretty limited knowledge on what I was talking about, uh, and it led them to wondering, what on earth is this kid talking about? They didn't know if I was in danger, if they needed to come rescue me. Uh, They had to do their best with the limited information that they had. And sometimes it's really hard um, to understand what someone or something means with pretty limited information. You have to dig around a little bit. You have to do some weighing of the options. And I had that same question when Jeff presented me with this text to preach on today. So open your Bibles or your phones to John 19, 28. And while you turn there, let me ask you the question that has been baffling me for a few weeks. What does Jesus mean when he said, I am thirsty? So all the text will be on the screens as well. So John 19, 28 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. 
Or another way, one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, translated it. After this, Jesus knew everything had been completed. I'm thirsty, he said, fulfilling what the Bible had said. As you can see with this text, we're going to have to ask ourselves that question a few times. Uh, What does Jesus mean when he said, I am thirsty? So far in this series on the seven final statements of Jesus, uh, Jeff in weeks one through three talked about how all the things that Jesus said, the first three statements were very external, focused on other people. Last week, uh, Andy talked about how Jesus was more internal when he said, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Well, this week we're gonna kind of balance the two. Some external things and internal things we can see from when Jesus says, I am thirsty. Today, uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of an exercise, though. Some of you might have never, ever studied the Bible, and that's okay. And some of you might not even be Christians. I'm asking everyone to take part in this this morning. So I'm going to read the verse, read the verse one more time, and I want all of you to just spend five or ten seconds trying to interpret for, for yourself what you think this passage means. So again, John 19.28 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. I'm going to say thirsty about a hundred times in this message, so I'm probably going to drink more than usual. So, okay. At the end of this message, if you have the same conclusion I did, which one person from first service did, I want you to come tell me. That'd be super cool. Uh, Regardless, Bible study is pretty difficult. And if it's hard for you or kind of foreign for you, like come talk to me after service, find a pastor, let us get you plugged into a group or get you a Bible and a 21-day devotional. We would love to do that for you today. Don't leave here today if Bible study is a hard or foreign thing for you. Today, we're actually going to walk through my approach to this text, how I interpret it. This is not the only way to study the Bible, to interpret the Bible, but it is a way. So here we go. This is going to be much less a sermon today and much more a group Bible study. I probably am not going to yell at you as much as Jeff usually does, um, but we'll, we'll see. So the obvious first question for me was, maybe Jesus is just thirsty. Man, I was not expecting laughs on that. Both services. I'm hilarious. (laughs) Maybe there isn't anything behind the scenes. Okay, this might seem pretty simple or rudimentary, uh, but there's a lot of compelling things we have to look at for this. When we read the Bible, sometimes the easiest interpretation is the best. Sometimes the interpretation on the path of least resistance is the best, sometimes. So let's ask ourselves, maybe Jesus was just physically thirsty. So you know when you wake up at 1.30 in the morning and your mouth is just so numb from thirst, like you sleep in a really weird position and your mouth has been hanging open for hours, what is your first thought in those situations? Mine is, gosh, I hope my wife brought water to bed, which God bless her, she usually does. You're the real MVP, Madison. But in those moments, you are just paralyzed with thirst. Your mouth is numb. It feels like you've been chewing on sawdust for hours. Well, Jesus had not had anything to drink in hours, probably more. And we have to redefine thirst for a situation like that, a situation that he was in. I had one of those nights recently that our kids were kind of rotten and I was awake a lot, kind of fitful. I fell asleep in a weird position and I woke up and I was like, man, I'm so thirsty. But in preparing for this message, I was like, eh, not really compared to Jesus. Uh, Since Jesus was fully God and fully man, he experienced thirst and hunger just like we do. And the crucifixion process was brutal. I'm sure most of you have seen it in The Passion of the Christ, or you've been to an Easter uh, sermon and you've heard about it. And I read one person who put it this way. A man scourged, bleeding, and hanging on a cross under the near eastern sun would be so desperately dehydrated that thirst would only be part of the torture. 
I don't know about you, but I've never been tortured with thirst before. That's never something that I've had to go through. We have a tendency to think the cross might've been easier for Jesus because after all, he walked on water. So how hard could the cross be? Well, as we saw last week, um, it might've actually been much more difficult for Jesus than the tens of thousands of others that got crucified. We saw last week how Jesus was experiencing pretty intense emotional and spiritual separation from the Father that could have made it more difficult, probably made it more difficult for him. So incredible physical and emotional and spiritual agony in the hot Middle Eastern sun would leave anyone, would leave me, would leave you begging for anything to quench that thirst. In preparing for this message, I was thinking of a way to illustrate this. I couldn't necessarily turn the heat up to 90 and make you all super thirsty for like six hours. So I was like, okay, what can I do? And I couldn't think of anything that could illustrate it better than these amigos. So go ahead and check out this video. Well, I'm not sure Jesus was really concerned about lip balm, uh, but he could have looked at Chevy Chase the way Martin Short and Steve Martin did. Just crippling, overwhelming thirst. At least Steve Martin got a few drops of water. If we read on to verse 29, it says, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. But why sour wine? Or some of your Bibles might say vinegar. Uh, many people believe that a Roman soldier, the, the strongest drink that they could have on duty was just the sour or watered down wine or vinegar. And if we look in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the parallel passages, uh, we can see that there's a Roman soldier or someone who is mocking Jesus in those accounts. So it makes sense that a Roman soldier was just mocking Jesus here. Not really very much to actually quench his thirst though. I don't know when you're thirsty, I don't think, man, I want some vinegar. So let's pretend we're ending the message here, which I am not, so settle down. Uh, for those of you who like macho triumph of the human spirit stories, this is for you. Jesus dying on the cross was intense. Here is a man pierced and stabbed dying under that sun for you. We get warm, fuzzy feelings when we hear about Medal of Honor stories when someone jumps on a grenade to, to save his uh, fellow soldiers. Well, this is a story like that. Jesus is jumping on the biggest frag grenade packed with sin and death. And as like a, like a human just 
triumph story, like Jesus as a symptom is just physically thirsty. Like get the dude some Gatorade, please. Can we get Tim Tebow in here to get him some Gatorade? There are many human elements to this story that by themselves paint a pretty intense picture of what Jesus was going through. If Jesus would have lost his mind on the cross to dehydration, he would still be God. However, it would seem that there is another layer here that we have to pay attention to. So when we ask the question, what did Jesus mean when he said, I am thirsty? I think layer two is Old Testament fulfillment. As we saw last week, Jesus used the Old Testament to illustrate his experience. And side note, if you want your mind absolutely blown by how statistically impossible it was for Jesus to do all the things that he did, Jeff is gonna just blow your minds. Just how statistically impossible it was for Jesus to just do a few of the things that he did. Um, So come back next week if you like statistics. Or even if you don't like statistics, come back anyways. For this layer, something a little bit more specific and complicated is going on. And this is gonna feel a little bit more teachy, which is more my style. Uh, But if that's not your style, just stick with me. Um, Last week, Andy taught us how Jesus used Psalm 22 um, to help us understand why Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me or why have you abandoned me? There are many people who also believe Psalm 22 is in play today. Psalm 22, 15 says, my strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. And even though, as we saw in point one, this is very much what Jesus was experiencing, I think uh, Psalm 69, 21 is actually a little bit better, and I'll tell you why. So Psalm 69, 21 says, but instead they gave me poison for food. They offered me sour wine for my thirst. Well, our job today would be so much easier if John wouldn't have included that one phrase in order to fulfill scripture. But because he did, we have to dig a little bit deeper today. We could have just looked at Psalm 22 and seen, okay, there's some physical parallels here. Jesus is thirsty. His tongue is is stuck to this roof of his mouth like sun-baked clay. But instead, I'm gonna take another path today. I think we need to pay attention to the physical and spiritual affliction like we did last week. So let's back up a few verses in Psalm 69 and jump in at verse 16. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and redeem me. Free me from my enemies. You know of my broken broken heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show me pity. If only one would turn and comfort me. And then we get to verse 21. They also gave me poison for my food, And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus is thirsty for this grueling process to be over. Or more specifically, Jesus is ready for his entire ministry to conclude at the cross. We could read this as Jesus saying, I am thirsty for poison, thirsty for the agony of the the cross. And as we saw in the garden of Gethsemane the night before, Jesus is saying, Father, like I'm down if I don't have to be crucified, but like I'm committed to doing this and dying this way if it's your will. So here's a quote from D.A. Carson that helped me on this. When Jesus cries out, I am thirsty, it represents not the isolated fulfilling of a particular trait in the scriptural picture, but the perfect completion of the whole prophetic image. So again, when Jesus cries out, I am thirsty, it represents not the isolated fulfilling of a particular trait in the scriptural picture, but the perfect completion of the whole prophetic image. So like I said, a little bit more teachy. So uh, let me summarize. 
The Bible is a big roadmap from creation and until the kings and the prophets, until Jesus came, until he comes again and we live in eternity with him, we're on a big highway. And at times us, our spiritual ancestors, have gotten off of this highway at the wrong exit. And God has put up signs to get people back onto this highway, sometimes big signs, sometimes small signs, uh, things like his son, his spirit, his word, and his people. And contrary to popular culture songs, Jesus does not physically take the wheel and get us back onto this highway, but he does put up signs. Along that highway, God, in his infinite wisdom, people wrote or said things long ago that were fulfilled later by people. A lot of them were fulfilled or said by Jesus. When Jesus says he is thirsty, this is just a mile marker on that highway. So you know when you go south on I-25 and you're heading towards Colorado, say you're going to Fort Collins or Denver, when you first leave the city, you see the big sign that says, okay, this is how many miles you have left to your destination. When you first leave, it's a lot of miles, dozens or hundreds of miles, but as you get closer, those miles dwindle. They start to get smaller. Well, thousands of miles ago, David wrote Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 with no idea that a few thousand more miles down this highway, Jesus would utter, why have you forsaken me? And I am thirsty on the cross and fulfill those things. And now for us, a few thousand more miles down this highway, we can look back at how perfectly designed God's redemptive story highway is for us. So, okay, enough about a highway. How about another illustration? How about a painting? Not a complex painting like a Rembrandt, or I don't really care about paintings. Brendan Anderson does, our youth pastor does. So you can ask him if you want to know. Uh, But a simple color by number painting. When Abraham was called by God, or when Moses got the Ten Commandments, one of those boxes were filled in. And here today, when Jesus says, I am thirsty, another one of those boxes is filled in. Yes, there's still empty boxes, but every time a box is filled in, we get a little bit clearer of a picture of who God is and what his plan is for us. So we shouldn't get hung up on the complexities of how did God make this highway and like, how did God make this painting? Instead, we should focus on God's plan for us and his ultimate wisdom. So again, if I was to conclude the message here, we could just look at Jesus's physical thirst and we could be super challenged by his passion, his intensity, his triumph of the human spirit. And if all we looked at was Jesus's passion to fulfill the father's will for him, Um, and God's sovereignty and his ultimate wisdom, we could stop there and be super challenged. And for some of you, that's all you need today. Some of you can look at that and say, I'm good, I'm challenged, I'm ready to make changes. But for all of us, myself included, I'm gonna press just a little bit more today. When we do a color by number or we're taking a trip, we don't just stop 80% of the way there. Or even if you're taking a trip to Buffalo, Wyoming and you get there, there's still the Bighorn Mountains in the distance. There's still more left to see, still more left to explore. And for us today, I think that is layer three. Jesus's thirst is symbolic. So far, we've looked at a lot of data, a lot of information. This layer is a little bit different. And for some of you, it might feel natural. For some of you, this layer might work a muscle that you've never worked before. So let's just jump in. John four is the last time we see Jesus saying, I am thirsty in the gospels. He's in Samaria and he's interacting with the woman at the well. We've preached on this a few times um, the last year or so, so it might be familiar to some of you. But let's pick up in John 4, verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and whom you are speaking to, you would ask me 
and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And jumping to verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Just like the woman at the well who had no idea whom she was speaking to, neither did those at the foot of the cross who gave Jesus this mocking wine. Jesus could have opened up the sky with rain from the Garden of Eden. Jesus could have turned the cross physically into a stream of water. Jesus could have made the inventor of the camelback invented in the first century and wore on the cross. So if that's true, we have to ask ourselves, what on earth and in heaven was Jesus thirsty for? I believe we find that answer in the symbolism of this passage. A church father who wrote a few hundred years after Jesus's death put it this way. The Samaritan woman at the well found the Lord thirsting and by him thirsting, she was filled. She first found him thirsting in order that he might drink from her faith. And when he was on the cross, he said, I thirst, although they did not give him what he was thirsting for, for he was thirsting for them. And here, like in John 4, we're at a well, or what, here, like in John 4 at the well, Jesus is thirsty in another socially scandalous situation, hanging from the cross, which everyone would have perceived as the end of his war. But spoiler alert, Jesus's war wasn't with Rome, it wasn't with Greece, and it wasn't with Samaria, it was with you and your hearts. Many of you have only made it to Buffalo, Wyoming today. And what we want for you is to see those bighorn mountains and say, I wanna go there. Some of you might think that Jesus is just a magician who doesn't ask you to do anything but to be a good person. But stop thinking about lunch and March Madness and work tomorrow and just focus for just a moment. Despite your hands, my hands being the hands that nailed Jesus to the cross, and despite our constant refusal to follow after him and do what he says, Jesus is thirsty for you today. And there's a humongous irony here. He who quenches all thirst cries out, I am thirsty. His thirst is for you and in return, your thirst should be for him. And it's not a thirst for water because unbelievers get thirsty just like believers do. Jesus is thirsty for you. And I'm fully aware of what popular culture says thirsty means today, but culture over-sexualizes everything. And if it makes you uncomfortable, maybe it should, because what does it mean? So let me ask you a question. How should we respond to a God who is thirsty for us? Well, I'm sure most of you could have an answer for that question. We'll pray, read your Bible, you know, tithe and pay for someone's meal two or three times a year. Those are good things. Don't hear me say those are bad things. But did you know that you are in a battle? Every day there's a war going on. And sometimes you fight in this war knowingly, but most of the time we fight in this war unknowingly. The word for repent in the New Testament is a military word. It's the imagery of fighting for one side and with weapons, spears, whatever, swords, and laying down those weapons and scurrying, sprinting to the other side, picking up weapons for that side and fighting against the side you were previously on. And whether you realize it or not, daily you choose to fight with Satan against the army of God. 
And if that doesn't make your stomach hurt as a believer, it should. It's easy for an unbeliever to say, well, I'm not a believer because look at all the bad things that God does in the world, like famine and poverty and homelessness. But don't blame God, blame the church that for the last 2,000 years has mostly failed to fight for the correct side. Some of you might be thinking, whoa, super downer, Taylor. I thought this was a Bible study. You didn't even bring snacks. (laughs) But hear me, hear me. An allegiance change is possible. Put down those weapons of lies and slander and gossip and adultery and anger and racism and scurry to the other side and fight for the right side. So how should we respond to a God who's thirsty for us? We owe every ounce of our allegiance to him alone. And I'm not talking about violence here. In fact, I'm talking about the opposite. When you love your neighbor well, you do more than the Crusades ever did. Jesus doesn't need his name protected. In fact, he told us to protect the marginalized, the outcasts, the refugees fleeing to our country. He told you to love that smelly person at work that you don't wanna talk to. Mine is Steve Doolin. (laughs) Just kidding. He's telling you to love that Roman soldier at the foot of the cross. So whose side are you on today? Whose banner do you carry and whose war paint is on your face? If hearing Jesus is thirsty for you, stirs something inside of you, maybe you have some action steps today. And if it doesn't stir anything in you, you might have some more action steps today. Maybe when you leave here, that means you get accountability for that sin tendency that's been plaguing you for years. Maybe that means on your way out, you actually put the rest of your 10% tithe in. Maybe that means you stop working 55 hours a week and saying you're providing for your family and be home. Maybe that means you go sign up to volunteer. Jesus doesn't tell us to slap our right hand and put a patch over our right eye if it causes us to sin. He tells us to cut it off and gouge it out. Jesus doesn't thirst for us to be lukewarm water either. In fact, in Revelation, it tells us he will spit us out of his mouth if we're lukewarm water. In fact, he tells us to be hot water, primed and ready to accomplish his purpose in this world. So what was Jesus thirsty for? He wanted water. He was committed to fulfilling scripture, but he died to get you. He died thirsty for you. And we're gonna go into a time of communion, which to me seems about the best thing we could do in a series focused on Jesus on the cross. And there's quite a few different ways over the last 2000 years that God's church has taken communion. If you wanna reflect, reflect. If you wanna reflect on a God that is thirsty for you, reflect. If you wanna celebrate, then celebrate. If you wanna dance in the aisles, like I would, we'd be so down for that. If you wanna beg for forgiveness, you better find a way to get those knees on the ground. If you need to confess something, you better find someone to confess to because we are in a war and you have to take a step today. The band is gonna lead us in a song uh, called Mighty Cross that I specifically requested for this week. And there's a line in that song that is super powerful for me. It says, uh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive. And when we're taking communion today, um, when you take that bread, it is a symbol of a body of Christ that was broken for you, a God that was thirsty for you. And when you take that juice, it's a symbol of God's blood that was poured out, thirsty for you, to die for you, to save you from your sins. And I'm not just 
talking at you guys today, I'm talking to myself as well. In the last two weeks, I've had to come to terms, come to grips with a sin tendency I have in my, my life that threatened to separate me, to cut me off from a God who is thirsty for me. And I had to take steps and we all have to take steps today. So if there's something in your life that is, that is preventing you from fighting for the right side, that's preventing you from having community with a God who is thirsty for you, change that today. Get rid of it, throw it away, talk to someone. I'll be in the lobby, there is a prayer team in the back. Find a pastor, find someone to talk to because there's a battle that you're fighting in and you're called to something. I'm gonna pray and then the band is gonna lead us in this song. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God that came to us, that you are a God that it was thirsty for us and that is just unimaginable to me. Help us to, to know you, to fight with you, to, to, to be committed to being a people that are thirsty for you in the way that you are thirsty for us. During this time of communion, help us all to reflect well, to remember well that your sacrifice for us on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the reason we are alive. Help us to remember that well today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.